Instagram, or Facebook. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. After the hour of 11 o'clock, hour number two, Miller and Condit on 1460 on the AM dial and 106.3 on the FM dial. And we're glad you're with us as we take you up and toward the top of the hour in about 20 minutes or so. Looking forward to our conversation with James Fagan. He covers the White Sox for The Athletic. If you're a fan of the American League Central, if you're a fan of the White Sox, uh, James Fagan coming up here in about 20 minutes. We will do a little baseball. Baseball's been fun uh, for the first, what is it, five days? Yeah. Is that all? It's been a long way to go. Oh, but first five days have been pretty good. Uh, Michael Swain, 24-7 sports, momentarily. Just this little nugget, Trent, that's broke uh, uh, since we finished up our number one. Liam Robbins, uh, who left Drake to go to Minnesota, mm-hmm. um, is leaving again. He has put, put his name in the transfer portal. Liam Robbins leaving Minnesota. At least he's in the portal. Doesn't mean necessarily. But uh, he's exploring a, um, a change of scenery. Grew up in Davenport. Are you going to connect some dots? Oh, I'm going to connect dots. I think it's very easy. There's I'm going to uh, stay out of your way and hope it happens. All-American hole over in Iowa City. He grew up an hour away from campus in Davenport. I'm going to guess he grew up a Hawkeye fan. Now, maybe he was an Illinois fan. You never know Could on that been, one. Yeah. Does he have a relationship with McCaffrey? McCaffrey recruited him, never offered. Remember, okay. we know the story. He was over 300 pounds. Right. He didn't move real well, and yeah. he went to Sunrise Academy down in Kansas and, and played at a high level and lost, what, 60 pounds before Drake gave him that offer. He's a really talented player. I like him, Trent. Yeah. And there's minutes Iowa has outside of a gundalay, mm-hmm. nobody mm-hmm. at the center position, close to home, one final year, and a place that is showing a pretty good propensity of, of. I think he's got two years, doesn't he? You're right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And getting the center involved. Uh huh. That would be Iowa. Seems like a pretty easy fit there. At least for a year until he leaves again. <laughs> Maybe hit the trifecta. Right. Well, we'll see. I mean, yeah. he's in the transfer portal. All so speculation. Something, something to watch. Uh, let's talk Iowa State, shall we? Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, CycloneAlert.com. A lot of Iowa State news going on. Jamie Pollard's extension yesterday. Michael, as always, we appreciate you coming in here uh, and talking Cyclones with us, as you've been wont to do here over the last few months, and we're grateful for that. Let's start with Jamie Pollard. Uh, Barry Alvarez, the you know connecting dots as we just were, not saying that Pollard was going to leave, but Wisconsin would have had to make a phone call, you would assume, uh, to one of Alvarez's former deputies, and Jamie Pollard's put a hell of a resume uh, together in Ames. He hasn't made, had too many mess, missteps along the way and has really been uh, um, front and center at this, with the success of both football, uh, basketball, both men's and women's, uh, finally elevating that to a, a different level. So Pollard had to get the phone call but uh, the extension has been um, has been signed, uh, and he's staying through 2026. Do you think that was preemptive at all, Michael? Um, I think the timing of it certainly is a little bit interesting, especially when you take into account that you know that was announced yesterday at 9 a.m., and I think it was maybe 9 a.m. this morning that Barry Alvarez announced that he's going to retire. And, of course, Jamie Pollard has the Wisconsin connection. So, and as you mentioned, of course, Wisconsin would have to make the call to Jamie Pollard, but I think if you're also Jamie Pollard, you look what you have going on in Ames, and you've got all of a sudden the new sports performance facilities coming up. They've got a lot of long-term projects they're working on. 
Of course, you're working with Matt Campbell. You know, Fennelly's been here for a, a long, long time. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're Jamie Pollard, you're sitting in a really good spot here. Of course, you're on the NCAA term selection committee as well, but that's not necessarily tied to Iowa State. Um, but it is good timing, and of course, it's really good for Iowa State to keep a real veteran voice, I guess, in the athletic department when there is so much change on the horizon. You think about the national letter of intent and all the name, image, likeness stuff that's going to come up here pretty soon. You know, I think having the experienced name at the head of the athletic department is going to be really important for a lot of the changes that seem like they're you know just on the horizon for college sports. Michael, I think you bring a good perspective here. New on the beat, newer on the Iowa State beat, kind of an outsider. Iowa State fans love this guy as an athletic director. What your perception of him is as you've been in this job and getting to know the Iowa State athletic department as a whole, coming from the outside, how you view Jamie Pollard in in comparison to the fan base? I think he's a really, really good communicator. I think that was one of the things that really stuck out to me. I mean, I look back to my time at Kansas and Jeff Long, and the communication out of the athletic department there wasn't necessarily as clear and as concise as it has been here with Jamie Pollard. I mean, if you think about the way that they worked fans through the financial issues, and you know, I remember mm-hmm. him releasing kind of the big document and the letter saying that, hey, we've got this big deficit. This is what we're going to do to try and fix it. But he's been really transparent through a lot of this stuff. And whether it's, you know, wanting to extend Matt Campbell's contract, you know, he mentioned that last fall, um, whether it's the hiring process for TJ Osselberger, you know, we had the, the press conference with him. But even before that, you know, when they parted ways with Steve Prohm, he had the video come out and kind of explain the decision, explain the process that they were going to go through. And then when they hired T.J. Altsaberger, they explained the process again. So I think the biggest thing for me is just the communication aspect, because I think in college sports, there's so much stuff that doesn't necessarily have to be shared. The athletic departments don't need to share. But it seems like Jamie Pollard has been very forthcoming with a lot of this information that he doesn't have any obligation to. But it seems like he's doing it to not only you know keep fans happy, but to make sure everyone's on the same page and that there's no speculation of trying to connect dots that maybe aren't there to be connected. So I think that's probably the biggest aspect, and I think that's great if you're talking about a head in the athletic department. You know, of course, fundraising is important, getting contracts extended, hiring people is important, but. I think keeping the fan base um, in a good place and being able to communicate different messages and what's your long-term plan is really important. Excellent point. Uh, I really do, Michael. It's, uh, you know, I go back to the, the, well, I don't go back to the pandemic. We're still in in a lot of ways. But when the athletic departments, when it became apparent that it's going to be different, right? 2020 football and basketball are going to be different. And the way he shared that with the fan base, he was really, I think, first and a lot of national writers picked up on, on the transparency that was coming out of, uh, out of Ames and out of the athletic department. Look, he hasn't been perfect. He would love to i'm assuming love to have that uh memo that he sent out a few years ago when he was knocking kids for leaving schools right the old transfer thing uh that 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 that's going to come back and bite him but this past cup this past few months he's been incredibly transparent i think that's a very uh, good perception uh on your part so let's let's go to what's going on we know pollard is going to stay even if Wisconsin, I'm assuming that it would still kick the tires. Um, but now they have to know that it's going to be difficult. So let's go to what's going on in football. We'll get to basketball in a second. I know that there's been a couple of opportunities, I believe one, uh, to speak with some assistant coaches as spring football moves on. Uh, who did you speak with and uh, what have you learned regarding the position group that was in the focus uh, last week? Definitely. So, so far, we've got to talk to Jeff Myers, the offensive line coach, and Tyson Bite, 
the linebackers coach. I think for me, the biggest thing that I took away from the offensive line conversation with Jeff Myers was that they're really not going to have the starters playing a ton of snaps in terms of scrimmages, in terms of really kind of taking a beating this spring. I thought that was really interesting. He's saying that because there weren't a ton of opportunities for some of the younger players to get playing time, you know, you think about there's no UNI game, um, there's no really non-conference slate, it was just Louisiana, and even then the team really needed to kind of play itself, you know, into form. So I think this spring will be really interesting to see maybe from, if as we get to talk to more players as the spring goes on, what the offensive linemen think of that, because obviously they love football and they want to play. So it would be interesting to see maybe how their bodies feel towards the end of the spring if they're not the ones necessarily taking the beating and the guys that are younger and that maybe the staff wants to get more game tape of um, and maybe see what they think of those young guys if they're able to see more of them. You know, as for the linebackers, I think blitzing has been um, an area of emphasis. You know, that's something that, you know, Tyson Bite mentioned. It's something that Jake Hummel mentioned. Gary Vaughn mentioned it as well. Um, and when you're losing someone like Jaquan Bailey and you're asking Will McDonald to step up into that role, of being maybe uh, you know the sack master that he was last year, mm-hmm. but you're going to ask a lot more of him this year on terms of just down to down you know consistency. So getting more pass rush, we very interesting to see how Iowa State balances that because you think about last year, you know, all you really had to do was you know let Jaquan Bailey and Will McDonald go loose on third down and just drop you know everyone else back into zones and you, you were able to create pressure and, and really limit o- the offenses. So be interesting to see how John Haycock really balances that. If they're going to blitz more at the linebackers, what does that mean for some of the safeties and the other linebackers that aren't blitzing? So I think those are probably the two big storylines that we've gotten so far from those two position coaches. And then so far this week, we've got Nate Shieldhouse, Dion Broomfield, and Joel Gordon. Good stuff there. So want to go into your recruiting realm. You guys do such a great job at that at 24-7, cyclonealert.com for the Iowa State content. And, Michael, just one commitment for the class of 2022. What's the latest on recruiting? I know they're hoping that there will be a period opened up where guys can go around the country and see campuses, actually. And, of course, coming off a historic Iowa State football season, i got to feel like there's a lot of interest for the Cyclones. Well, fill us in a little bit more on recruiting. Yeah, of course. I wouldn't really read too much into the number of commits so far. The vibe that I've gotten from a lot of the the young guys in the class of 2022 is that they want to wait for visits to happen before they make a decision, which makes sense. They've not been able to be on campus for over a year. They've not been able to take official visits. So right now it seems like that first weekend of June when the dead period opens is going to be a real big visit weekend for Iowa State. I'm looking at our list of visitors here. It's a double-digit numbers that are Mm -hmm. coming in for that first weekend of June, which will be – a real big weekend. Um, I wouldn't necessarily maybe expect uh, a ton of commitments coming right out of that because I do think that you are getting the first visit for a lot of these guys. So you're able to make a really strong kind of first impression with that first visit, but they're probably going to want to taking their other visits before making a decision. So if we're looking at the timetable for this 2022 class, I think you're probably looking at July being a real big commitment month because at that point, you know, these guys are allowed to take five official visits. You know, at that point, you're really getting into, if you're taking one a weekend in June, you got one weekend, and then in July, and then it's probably commitment season. So if we're really looking at trying to evaluate where the 2022 class is, I think you might have to wait until maybe mid-July to get a really good feeling for where this class is going to stand nationally. Because I think it does have a really good chance. Obviously, you know, Jacob Emming is someone that is already in the class, but then you look at guys like Will McLaughlin, Carson Willich, you know, Greg Gaines is a four-star wide receiver out of Florida that's going to come visit. Ja'Cory Thomas is someone else that's a four-star athlete out of Florida that'll come and visit. So 
a lot of opportunity here for Iowa State to make a real big push early on in the cycle and put themselves in a really good position going into 2023, where if Iowa State's able to compete for a Big 12 title this fall again, those 2023 guys have seen Iowa State play in the mm-hmm. biggest stage in December two years in a row, which I think is a really big deal. Yeah, and <laughs> really uncharted territory. Where that, There was somebody, oh, a college football site that actually had them in the facing Alabama in the semifinal. Did you see that no. this weekend? I, yeah, I did. It was funny. So that was from ESPN's SP Plus rankings, which really, really like Iowa State going into this year. It takes into account kind of the returning production, and then, then they kind of account for some of the growth that's to be expected. But with Iowa State returning, you know, what is it, 20 of the 22 mm-hmm. starters, you know, a, a lot of those analytics sites are really going to like Iowa State because, of course, you got Brock Purdy, Brees Hall, Charlie Kohler, and then the entire defense basically coming back outside of Jaquan Bailey and Lawrence White. So a lot of those analytics sites are going to like Iowa State, and I think you're going to see a lot of that stuff over the next few months. I'm with you. Xavier Hutchinson, I think he's a kid, too, that's that's sitting on a big year. Mm-hmm. Anyways. Over to a little basketball to wrap up here, Michael. And, uh, well, we started our conversation this hour with Leon Robbins. Of course, two guys already uh, have uh, gone to Iowa State. Transfers have committed that are considered bigs. You think the Cyclones would have any interest in a guy that averaged 12 points, eight rebounds a game in the Big Ten a year ago? That's tough because I think at this point you're probably looking at your front line being Xavier Foster, George Condit, and Robert Jones. I'm not necessarily sure if you'd take a you know another big man on top of Jazz who um, is coming from Washington State, who's more of like a four man, a stretch four type of player. Um, I just not necessarily sure if they have the spots for someone like that who isn't necessarily going to be a true freshman with four years of eligibility plus remaining. Um, so I'm not necessarily sure if Iowa State's going to be pursuing a ton of more big men right now. I think you're probably looking at more of like the wings to shooting, you know, on the perimeter and not necessarily even a dominant guard, I would say, until Tyrese Hunter makes his decision. So I think right now, you know, I think if you're crossing stuff off, I would say you're probably not looking at guys that are ball dominant guards and probably not. You know, you're back to the basket inside the arc center. Uh, Michael, did you uh, are you able to connect, or have you heard any speculation? Connect dots. The Jones kid that comes from Denver grew, grows up in Prior Lake, Minnesota. Apparently, and you follow recruiting closer than most people in the state. Uh, his best friend is da- Dawson Garcia, a six eleven kid who was a freshman and led the, led his team Marquette uh, in his freshman campaign. And apparently, there's some speculation that. You know, Jones is at Iowa State, and this opens up the door maybe to get his best friend, who is not in the transfer portal, but apparently is thinking about getting in the transfer portal. Is there any buzz on Dawson Garcia from Marquette joining his best friend Robert Jones at Iowa State? Of course, I think there's buzz. It's just a question of how legitimate it is, and I probably would say it's not that legitimate. Um, Just because if you look at Dawson Garcia, the first person to offer him, if I'm not mistaken, was Shaka Smart at Texas who's now his head coach at Marquette. Ah. So I, I think the odds of him hitting the transfer portal now mm. are a lot lower than they were maybe two, three weeks ago before Shaka took that job. So I think right now that's maybe not necessarily the most feasible transfer option for Iowa State because, you know, as you mentioned, he's not even in the portal yet. But I think with that Shaka connection, I, I'm not necessarily convinced he's going to be looking to go elsewhere. I couldn't agree with you more. I did not know that uh, Smart was the uh, was the first one to offer him, and that makes a lot of sense. So what are, what are you hearing uh, regarding uh, what uh, TJ and his staff, do they have any targets? Um, have you been able to zero in on, on uh, a, a couple of kids that potentially might make their way to Ames? 
Yeah, um, I've got a good list up on Cyclone Alert for some of our VIP subscribers, but I think one name that I, I could share is Tristan Anaruna from Kansas. Um, I was able to kind of cover his recruitment secondhand. Um, I wasn't the primary guy at all, you know, just more watched it from a Kansas perspective, but then got to watch him, you know, uh, my last year there at Kansas when he was a freshman, and then I've watched several Kansas games this year. He's someone that I think has a NBA future. Um, he's kind of a wing that's 6'8", can handle the ball, can shoot a little bit. Shooting needs to probably improve, but he's someone that has a really good feel for the game, really long arms, someone that would be a really good addition for Iowa State if we're able to get him. But from everything I've heard, he's got a lot of programs that are, that are after him. Um, I know Creighton was one of the finalists for him uh, during his high school recruitment, so that could be a school to watch. But that's a name that I've heard, and I, I think that that would be a really huge addition if Iowa State's able to pull that off. Good stuff. Well, uh, always a lot going on. People want to get interested. Tell us a little bit more what they can do. Get signed up at 24-7 Cyclone Alert. Spring football and the transfer season upon us. Definitely. We've got a transfer uh, kind of thread going right now, with just names that I've heard. Um, been adding to that over the last few days. Um, we've got a spring football series going on. But if you'd like to try out our VIP service, you know, the dollar for your first month, you'll get you know daily recruiting updates, um, a lot of the stuff on the transfer portal. And we've got a lot of also kind of insiders that kind of help out with that too. So if you're interested and want to try it out, only a dollar for your first month, give us a try. I'm, I'm sure you're going to like it. Tristan and Aruna? Yep. You nailed it. Good stuff. Well, we'll watch him. Uh, Michael, thanks for what you do for us. We'll talk to you next week. Appreciate it as always. Yep, sounds good. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Michael Swain, 24-7 Sports, CycloneAlert.com, Tristan and Aruna. We will take a timeout, come back, talk a little White Sox baseball with James Fagan from The Athletic. Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO, 106- It's everyone's favorite tournament of the year. The golfers are in Augusta, Georgia to compete for the coveted jacket. And DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is putting you in the center of the action by giving you a shot to land in the green. This week, DraftKings is giving you 100-to-1 odds on the golfer of your choosing to finish in the top 10. Turning $1 into $100 is simple. Pick any golfer from this week's tournament, and if they finish in the top 10, you cash $100. 100 100-to-1 odds on an offer like this doesn't come around very often so sign up for a DraftKings Sportsbook account now and get in all of the action and choose your golfer before the tournament tees off on Thursday morning. Download the top rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use the promo code KXNO when you sign up to turn $1 into $100 if the golfer of your choosing finishes in the top 10 of this weekend's tournament. That's code KXNO to turn $1 into $100 for a limited time. Only a DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Iowa only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call one eight hundred. Have a home with us. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on fourteen sixty KXNO, and now on one hundred six point three FM. This is KXNO. Hi, Miller and Condon. Welcome back. Shy of 11.30 here on a Tuesday as we take you up until noon. Final guest of the morning. Looking forward to this. This White Sox team, a lot of buzz around them. Of course, Cappy joins us every Wednesday. Cappy now at the station that carries the White Sox. He's still a Cubs fan, but paying way more attention to the team on the south side. James Fagan uh, pays a whole lot of attention to the White Sox. He covers them for the athletic. That athletic sale, I believe, is still going on. Sign up. It's only a buck for the first few months. It's well worth it. Trent and I are both subscribers and have been since it launched. James, Trent Condon, Ken Miller, thanks for coming on here in Des Moines. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. I 
you think that sale might have ended yesterday. Oh, so. no. <laughs> so, don't put me in charge of that department. <laughs> All right, good stuff. Well, maybe it did, but here's the, the good news. There'll be another one coming up because uh, uh, they market yeah, aggressively. Be. Absolutely. And full price is still worth it, Absolutely. What, what did we pay? Four ninety nine. I think? Like that, it's, yeah. Absolutely. It's the future. Uh, before we get into the team itself, just kind of... Um, uh, take us uh, behind the scenes a little bit. I'm sure that you know your travel, road travel is going to be cut down. I know that Benetti uh, and, and Stone are still uh, doing the games when they're on the road as they are to begin the season on the West Coast. By the way, I think they're the best listen in all of baseball. I love that team. Uh, but is this um, is this now the normal? Do you think, James, that teams will you know keep the radio broadcasters at home? Um, how will we see this once we get to the other side of this pandemic? I think there's generally optimism that um, as media, as teams uh, start to get vaccinated, you know, ideally you'd see cases go down nationwide alongside it, um, that there's the expectation that things will start to open up a little bit as far as access um, mid-season. Um, and, and it might be something in the form of like talking to players on the field, um, still outdoors, but, you know, getting a little bit away from, uh, you know, just everything being via Zoom and being phone calls. And, you know, as much as I depend on that, you know, broadcasters do that a lot too. Uh, you, mm-hmm. before all this started, you'd see Jason Benetti working the room and getting details for the broadcast, uh, like a beat reporter, you know, mo- more active than us on most days. So <laughs> I think, uh, once that starts happening, I think broadcasters want to be involved too. So, I would think that they would have as much reason to travel so that they can give drop more details on the broadcast as us who are you know writing full stories. James, of course, he had the sprint of sixty games a year ago. Now dealing with this with the White Sox starting out on the left coast in uh, Seattle now after starting down south, it's it's different, no doubt. How much more difficult? I know we're not digging ditches here. We talk on the radio. You write columns on the athletic. We're not out there working the coal mines, but how much more difficult is your job not being able to be face to face with the players? It's just, uh, it's different. I would say, um, I, I think there's probably a lack of depth in terms of talking to people individually or asking follow-up questions. And, and certainly I don't think anyone feels super informed about clubhouse dynamics. There's probably little things, uh, that, um, you know, would, would, would key, uh, an angle that we, you know, stash down the road that you see in person or you, you see how players relate to each other. And it gives you a bit more idea of, you know, who's really tight and real, who really has good chemistry. Um, so there's, there's stuff that's missing that I can't even perceive right now, but, you know, I, I think, uh, media relations has done a lot of good jobs about just setting up regular zoom calls with, um, with players before the game. And, you know, if you're really working those, you can start, you know, picking up a little things that you store away and expand upon when you get a chance to talk to players one-on-one, which has been happening more this season, I would say. So um, I'd, I'd like to say we're still putting out competent work, but, uh, you know, remains to be seen. <laughs> well, we're enjoying it, <laughs> we, uh, James, uh, Trent, and I here as we uh, keep up on the uh, White Sox. Uh, and it's hard to miss Yermon uh, Mercedes, who had a phenomenal weekend. I mean, Friday night bursts onto the scene, duplicates that on Saturday, Cooled off on Sunday, only one for five. But then last night uh, follows that up with another three for four night. Had a good spring, apparently, but nobody saw this coming. What a remarkable story. Guy paying his dues, over 2,200 uh, at-bats in the minor leagues, independent ball, you name it, and to get his opportunity to do what he's doing. One of the really good early stories in baseball. 
Yeah, uh, you know, even if he had a good spring, if he had hit like 300 with power, I wouldn't have said he's going to go hit 600 for the first <laughs> week. So I, I don't know what level I could possibly have seen it coming. Um, but, you know, the last time Yermeen had regular action, he had pretty nutty numbers in AAA. So there's always been speculation he could hit, but you'd probably watch him in person and be less convinced than you would be if you, you just look at his numbers, I mean, he, I think he got a hit last night. He was doing a huge leg kick. He does this huge hand load. It's all these exaggerated actions um, that make you think, like, this is not something you ever see uh, working on the major league level. He kind of reminds you a little bit of Daniel Palka from the right side. Uh, and I think the thing that really started to convince me last season that he could hit was seeing his two-strike approach and seeing how all those actions really quieted down uh, when he needs to stay alive in the count. The fact that he has this ability to do that and can kind of maintain these two very distinct swings and really keep himself alive and become this kind of really cagey contact hitter uh, on top of the guy who's kind of swinging for the fences early in the count uh, is impressive. Um, you, you see two good two-strike approaches across the league, but you don't see the, a guy just basically transform uh, via the count. And I think the question with your mean before the season, even having some idea that he could do this was where he's going to hit play defensively. Um, there's still questions about how much he's, uh, you know, a, a capable defensive catcher on a regular basis. It seems like he's a solid number three on in this current group, but Eloy Menez getting hurt means there's a big opening in DH and that's not really the issue for him right now. So um, they, they have a need and he's filling it. Let's jump into the bullpen. I was uh, told by White Sox fans this was going to be the best bullpen in baseball. I thought that was a little much. Liam Hendricks, a big upgrade there at the back end in comparison to Colome, but still, they've given up leads. I know it's five games. I, I know the Angels Kopech have some offense. Been great. He has been, but the depth of the bullpen, any concern at all, or do you believe this is going to be one of the best bullpens still in baseball? I think it's going to be a better one. I mean, the, the guys who have gotten burnt, uh, they lost the game opening day because Aaron Bummer gave up, uh, you know, two runs in the, the eighth inning. And you know, the way he gave it up was, you know, Bummer. He basically, there were two ground balls. This is the sinker ball guy that they, they botched, and, and that's how the inning kind of broke open on him. Um, Evan Marshall has been really good for like two years, and he got lit up uh, on, on Saturday to kind of lose that one. Um, you know, I, I think his. his his performance statistically started to really look stable last season. Uh, you know, relievers kind of you know rise and fall all the time, so it wouldn't be surprising. But fundamentally, they've lost games with guys they trust. Matt Foster gave up the walk off on Sunday. That was a guy who was absolutely lights out um, all last season. And you know, as much as you could probably make a pretty good argument that Liam Hendricks should have been in the game at that point, it wasn't like they threw out their eighth reliever or anything like that. They threw out a guy who had been shut down all last season. And, you know, he had struck out Mike Trout just before things had gone wrong right. with him. I think Cody Hayward gave up a home run on Sunday, too. And that guy, you know, you watch him, it's, it's 98 with nasty sink, and he was dominant all that season. They've lost with guys who look like they're throwing just as hard and just as sharply as they did last season. They're lights out. So, yeah, they could fall back because bullpens fall back and defy our expectations all the time. Um, you know, Foster and Hewitt came out of nowhere. They, you know, they can go back to regress to performance um, one year to the next. But I, I wouldn't say after one week or one weekend that I can really say like, well, this is doomed and none of this is going to work. Uh, I, it, it's still the same set of names that there was a lot of confidence in, and I don't think one or two outings can, can transform that entirely. 
Uh, James Fagan from The Athletic is our guest. He covers the White Sox. James, I don't know where you were on the LaRusa hiring. I thought it was uh, a risk. I mean, clearly he's a Hall of Famer, but it, that was a long time ago since he'd been in a, a dugout. Uh, of course, he, he, the drinking and driving thing is, is clearly something that he hasn't been able to put behind him. Um, I wasn't sure how the players, it seemed like it was a loosey-goosey group. And here's uh, this, this old-timer, this old-school manager. How's he going to get along with today's young players? Are they going to accept them? But by all accounts, James, and you're certainly closer than we are here in Des Moines, um, it's gone very smoothly. And the fact that these players, I heard Giolito on Sunday Night Baseball singing his praises in an interview uh, with Viscargin and, and A-Rod. Um, so it's gone pretty well, I guess, uh, is the story of uh, Tony LaRusso's stint, return stint with the White Sox so far. Yeah, I mean, I saw uh, numerous potential fault lines when uh, he was hired, and I would say at this point, for me, the story with him is that there was a lot of work done before spring training started to kind of set the foundation. He had to sit down with Tim Anderson uh, before spring training started because they both were reported early to Arizona. And ever since that meeting happened, they're both like, we love each other. We appreciate each other. You know, uh, you know, we totally get each other. We can talk to each other about anything. There was a call with Lucas Giolito um, before spring training started where he said, I'm trying to earn you know, the players' respect, and that just blew Lucas away. Um, Jose Bray was on the phone with Albert Pujols, who he's pretty tight with, and Pujols was singing LaRusso's praises to him, and that got him on board. When you have those three main leadership figures aboard, basically the tent poles of the clubhouse, uh, heading into spring camp, uh, that really greases the track for things to go pretty smoothly, and by all accounts, that's what happened. I, you know, in the days after he was hired, uh, there were a couple of players uh, I talked with privately who were kind of grumpy about it. It was not like this is kind of an old guy getting put in charge. And, you know, those same guys are singing his praises and, and like how um, he leaves them to kind of go about their business and trust them to be a, a veteran team uh, since they've actually got to, to work under him. So I, I, I don't like to just uh, say unnuanced that everything's going great because that's usually like, you know, the party line. But, you know, as a reporter who's trying to dig on it, I haven't, I haven't found anything that uh, suggests. Uh, that anything's going wrong. It, it seems like a smooth transition. What can you tell us about the hamstring injury for Tim Anderson, the all-star shortstop? Well, it was weird. Yeah. It sounds positive. It, uh, it, you know, the fact that he didn't go on the IL right after the next day evaluation, his MRI, that kind of shows you what kind of timeline they're dealing with. At this point, they're kind of fingers crossed for, um, whether he'll actually play the home opener. He's definitely out for the rest of the Mariners series. But the fact that they, you know, have an MRI and there's, there's still no um, roster move or anything like that shows you that they're dealing with kind of the two to three day span. They kind of feel like he felt it while he was running out the baseline on the first inning on Sunday night and shut it down immediately. And because he did that and didn't kind of dig or push any harder or try to sprint through it or, basically conceded the out once it happens, they probably saved themselves an IL stint by doing that. So, um, you know, I, Tim has had a, you know, IL stint both the last couple of years. I think he, he knows how to manage himself a little bit more. It seems like they kind of avoided something more major by that decision that he made in that moment. 
Uh, it's going to be a hell of a race. Uh, we're only five days into it, and I'm assuming you, like most people, thought it was a two-team race. It's the Twins and the White Sox. Have you seen anything uh, this first few days of the season that leads you to believe? I mean, the Royals are off to a terrific start. Uh, Cleveland's kind of scuffling out of the gate a little bit. Um, did you, or do you? Would you go back and take another look at the Royals, that maybe they are not going to win it, but certainly be better than some folks thought that they were? Your thoughts on the division uh, into the first week here? Uh, I think the Royals could probably be in the 75-80 range if you know everything broke right with them or if they stayed all their offensive con- contributors right now kind of stayed where they're at. Uh, but you know, I would I would expect guys like you know their additions like uh, Michael A. Taylor and, and Carlos Santana. Um, you know, I think Santana's on the older edge. Mm-hmm. I would expect him to wane over the course of the year. Michael A. Taylor is, you know has big strikeout issues. That I think would um, you know kind of weigh in once he cools off. So I wouldn't I wouldn't I don't see the ceiling there being really high as far as being able to surprise anybody. Um, the concern I would have as far as weighing the division race is whether the White Sox defense is going to. Re- kind of recover because if if it doesn't with the twins having added Anderson Simmons that could really be an advantage that really swings the race to the twins uh, over the long haul so I I think the bullpen will be fine um a little bit concerned about the offense once the uh, Mercedes cools down but I, I think White Sox defense is really where they could uh you know, have a disadvantage that they need to address um, if they want to keep pace with Minnesota. James Fagan from The Athletic, whatever the uh, subscription price is, it's well worth it. Here's another example of it. Uh, James, thank you for coming on. We hope to talk to you a couple of times throughout the season. We appreciate you coming on this morning. Sounds good to me. Good to talk to you. Thank you, James. James Fagan from The Athletic as we talk a little White Sox baseball. Now, they come home to face the Royals, I think. Is that who it is Pretty next sure. for them? So That's the their home opener. opener. Uh Thursday, Friday, I would guess Thursday. Thursday, well, and they probably get that Friday off, right? Oh, sure, yeah, probably so. Anyway, saw last weekend. Yes, Thursday, three ten first pitch, and then Saturday, Sunday, both at one ten. Did you Royce. see Luis Robert pull a Jose Canseco and take one off his <laughs> noggin the other night? Yeah. <laughs> Tim Anderson, you see the look he gave him uh-huh. after he called Anderson off. And Anderson was camped under the baseball, and Luis Robert comes charging in from center field, and mine, 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 and goes off his head. Sunday night, Larusa, when he went to the bullpen, and it looked like he was going to keep the guy out there. I can't remember who it was, but it was some gamemanship with Trout, I think, coming up. Okay. Is that just Larusa being Larusa? Is that him? Smartest guy in the in the stadium? Yes, just ask mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Maybe. Is that what it is? Maybe. Look, I thought it was going to be uh, anything but smooth sailing. I really did. Well, if things go south. Then then you wonder, right? And James said he's digging on it. He's reporting. Right. He's digging Look, I can't get past the... It's the middle of May and they're six games under five hundred, yeah. And the Twins are running away and the Royals are ahead of him in the standings. Maybe. And mm-hmm. You wonder. Mm-hmm. Fair to. Right. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I don't either. Though. I think they're too good. Michael Kopech has been a terrific story so far in this season. Of course, Mercedes is unbelievable. But they can't afford many injuries. No. I, you said it early months March. Ago, the yeah. depth is is your biggest concern when we're talking about this team. One through nine and one through three in the road. This is a team built for the playoffs really, yeah. really well. Cease was good. It's only one start. I get yeah. it. Right. I know. You're not a fan. All right, Sean Roberts. <laughs> we had that, we had this argument on Saturday. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I, I one of my best friends is also a White Sox fan. I've seen Dylan Cease, and 
I bought it hard. But he teases the hell out of you. Well, he throws 98. I know. And he looks with movement. And then all of a sudden, the fourth inning comes. Uh And and it just doesn't get bad. It gets real bad for him. Sure, if he irons that out. Because he's still, what, 26? I'm not sure. Right in that range. It's not like this guy's 32 and he is what he is. Yeah. He, he hasn't figured it out yet. He's got time to. I'm with you. And I didn't see much of it. I saw little, but Rodon, what, what I saw, another guy that I love the talent, just so I didn't see a pitch last night, Trent. When they uh, when the buzzer went off, I, I that's yeah. enough for me. So now no I, one shining moment. I saw it this morning. Yeah, I figured it, you would. It was uh, it was pretty good. I got mean, the yes if you're dunk. That, yeah, I saw that. I got uh, Luca right after. a couple of times. Yep. Uh, once, uh, once a smiling. Good, yep, and then one not smiling. And one of the Hawks got dumped in, in the Oregon game, dunked on. Do you remember? I th- I think there was another. They, they showed a, They didn't show any player in the screen. No, he couldn't. I couldn't tell who it was. Right, right. Couldn't. Was tell that who one it McCaffrey? Was. Maybe got dunked on. Yeah, could have been. I think so. Yeah. Could have been. But yeah, it was pretty good. Well, there was ten of them in that game. Don't forget. Yeah. <laughs> ten dunks. That's remarkable. Most in the NCAA tournament, and I, don't, I remember well, the stat a couple of weeks. What ago. was the other stat? The guards outscored I was guards sixty-two to nothing, and then the guards for Oregon the next time outscored like. Yeah, 12 points. Yeah, not very many. Yeah. Uh, they ran into a buzzsaw, did they not? Well, it was a fun tournament. Boy, it was a fun tournament. It was great Wasn't it a fun a tournament or we just missed the hell out of it last year? That it Both. Seemed... Yeah. Both. It was a good tournament. Will it be an all-timer? Will it be remembered? It was more be- there was better games than the women's tournament. Yeah, oh, there's no doubt. Absolutely. Yeah. The Sug shot will be remembered. Saved it. Saved it. Yes. Uh-huh. The run for Moral Roberts. That was fun. Mm-hmm. You're going to have these storylines. Mm-hmm. Houston Oregon State. State. Right. A program that has been... Gary Payton played there in the mid-80s. I mean, that's a long time ago since they were even close to relevant. I think we'll remember it as being better than it was because of Suggs yeah. and because we didn't have it in 2020. No doubt. We'll take a timeout. Come back, finish the program. Miller and Condon with you until noon. Murph and Andy... Uh, in an hour and 15 minutes, they're all vaccinated. You see, they just posted on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah, they posted a uh, from the Murph and Andy account, Fails, Murphy, and uh, and AD. Mm-hmm. Uh, both a picture of themselves getting their shots in the arm. That's great. I uh, got mine. and That's number two for you. Number two yesterday. And, and no side effects. No, I'm, I'm Beautiful. feeling so much better than I felt with the first one. Uh-huh. The first one. Has it been? How many hours has it been? It hasn't been 24 yet. 22. Okay, so it was close. Yeah, it was one thirty yesterday afternoon, yeah. so fingers crossed, because the first one, I struggled, and Ooh. I struggled for a long time. It was also state tournament week, mm-hmm. boys state basketball at the mm-hmm. end of state wrestling, girls state, you know, that one kind of drags on me a no, little bit, too. No, you, you bust your ass. In it. So, does it affect, I've seen this, and my wife, when she got her first one, mm-hmm. Cindy was sick for a week. Oh, yeah. She got her second one yesterday, and she's fine, Yeah, but apparently it hurts, It, it, it not hurts, it affects women more so than men. Really? I she hadn't heard that. She found that giant, or she Googled it, I don't know if she found yeah. it. Um, Hopefully a medical journal. <laughs> yeah, who knows Hopefully not Facebook. And well, could, could have been, to be honest. Uh, anyway, I get mine Friday. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm very excited. Anyways, yes. come back. Finish my second. 1460 KXNO100. That's off. You can see it. Picture it. The building you've always wanted. An expansion of your existing business. A new retail center where your growth really begins to take off. You've got the vision, but now what? 
Now you can act with Graphite Construction Group. Formerly Roshan Corporation of Iowa, Graphite Construction Group is the partner you want to match your vision. From the moment you first connect to long after the build is complete, nobody does it better than Graphite Construction Group. See why at GraphiteGR. Trek Hyden here to let you know my good friends at Renner's Warehouse are in heavy demand right now in Des Moines for three reasons. One, the rental market is booming. People rent during uncertain times and homes are getting leased fast. Two, with professional video marketing and self-showing technology, Renner's Warehouse meets all healthy and safety guidelines for our social distancing world. And three, with regulations changing so quickly, more people are learning that using an experienced property manager is far less stressful than trying to do everything yourself. Now is not the time to DIY or mess with inexperienced property managers. For a low, flat monthly fee, Renner's Warehouse will take the grunt work off your plate with no upfront fees and no paperwork or 3 a.m. maintenance calls. Plus, they can help you turn your part-time rental into a full-time cash flow machine. And if you're a real estate agent, they're offering cash payments for referrals. Go to Renner'sWarehouse.com to book your free home rental price analysis today or call 515-528-4429. That's 515-528-4429. Renner's Warehouse, Des Moines. You'll always have All right. Welcome back. You found another file for some of this bump music today. Yeah, a couple new things. A couple of new things. I miss the old things, by the way. (laughs) We'll we'll get into them. They're they're in the rotation. Okay. Uh, So tonight we've got baseball and uh, I guess hockey and some NBA. And uh, where are you going to land Trent Condon with your gambling, Jones? Well, uh, three baseball games jump off to me after I handed out that nice parlay yesterday. That play. Oh, did uh, you hit it? Plus 177. You also had Gonzaga. I had Gonzaga. That did not go. You were moving the number alternate line. You loved them. I did. I you weren't alone. Things. I mean, I'm no. kidding, but you weren't alone. No, not at all. And got clubbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Gonzaga plus four and a half. All that. The guy, it's funny you mentioned that. So somebody called yesterday uh, during the 11 o'clock break, and, and I talked to him. Um, he said, I just want to alert your listeners mm-hmm. that DraftKings has an odds boost that you can move the number. To, you get four and a half if you sign up at DraftKings. Sounds incredible. It's amazing, right? You get nine points. So I shared that on the air yesterday, and he called me back today during the 11 o'clock, and he wanted to apologize to everybody. That happens. I'm, uh, I'm going to fade Max Scherzer today. Well, Washington hasn't played yet. They haven't, and their updated look at their roster. I and they're playing you, Atlanta? Yes. Uh, so Ooh, gonna... They won? No. No. They'll get the first one here today. Uh-huh. They have placed, this is the Nationals, have placed Alex Avila, Jan Gomes, both their catchers, on the IL, Josh Bell, Josh Harrison, Jordy Mercer, Kyle Schwarber, Patrick Corbin, Brad Hand, John Lester, all on the injured oh, wow. list because of the COVID-19 break uh, outbreak that they had. Oof. Yeah. Give me the praise. I, I Even against Scherzer. It might well, be you one get through Smiley, who's not terrible. Right, exactly. Yeah. So uh, that is one of them. That is one of my plays for okay. the evening. Jumping back with the Cardinals. Had them yesterday going back mm-hmm. against the Marlins. Get plus money, mm-hmm. uh, as it'll be Gant against Alcantara from the Marlins. And my last play, I do like the White Sox tonight. John Paxton against Giolito. I will lay the big price there and uh, finish it off with that. Probably play a round robin with those three and a few other plays. And baseball. It's a grind. It's a different betting world than football, certainly, and even basketball. Baseball is just, it's a lot different. Mm-hmm. you got to be a lot more locked in. Mm-hmm. And make sure if you're betting, make sure that 
if you're starting pitching dependent, right. that you lock it in that way. Because you can bet regardless of who the pitcher is or starting pitcher. Yeah, dependent. because there's a lot of people that get, if their guy is scratched mm-hmm. and they still get him. Alzelay for the Cubs tonight. This is a big spot for him. But I'm excited to see him. I am too. Uh, and I'm excited that the Brewers are in town. Trent, I'm telling you, I'm not into this marquee tandem yet. Brian Anderson, such a good listen. All right, Ken. I know. All first names. <laughs> yeah, he does it. Boog loves it. Uh, hour and five minutes. Murph and Andy. Keith and Andy. Do you like it like there that better? Go. And then Chris and Ross will be in at three. We're Trent and Ken. Weekdays 10 to noon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3 FM.